Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Eric Furston, a professional playtester. Although Eric grew up playing board games like Rummy Cub and Risk, he didn't become a board game enthusiast until he's in his mid-40s. These days, he plays over 400 games a year and is a playtester primarily for Stolmeyer Games. Eric, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Thank you. Uh, good to be here. It is very good to have you. I think you are our first playtester that we've actually had on this. Uh, I think pretty much everybody's a playtester in some facet or another, right? People that love board games love to kind of playtest stuff, but you're kind of like an officially the guy that you would go to if you have a game that you want to get tested. I thought we'd start off by, um, for the listeners out there, get you to explain what is a play tester. Just explain kind of what that is and why it's important. Certainly. Um, th there are uh, two different um, modes, I guess, of play testing. You know, one is, you know, kind of an open play testing and the other, which I primarily do is called blind play testing. Mm -hmm. um, so when someone is developing a game, uh, and this is long before it reaches, you know, production and distribution, and uh, a lot of times even before they start implementing art and things. Um, but they they have the game down, um, and you know they've probably been playing it with their friends or family, and and they they want to start now reaching out and and getting you know a, a broader base of. Um, opinions and people with experience. So they will send it out what's called blind, meaning that they don't interact with me and they're not standing over my shoulder while I'm playing the game. Generally, they will send me files uh, and it'll be print and play. And so I'll print out the game uh, on my own and whether it's cards or if it's a, a board or, or things like that. And oftentimes I'll then use my own components, meaning dice or pawns and meeples and things like that. Uh, and then play the game a couple of times, uh, either solo, uh, if it has a solo mode, uh, and, and they're looking to test that specifically, or I'll play with uh, generally my um, play group, um, um, my friends that I, I normally play with on, on a regular basis, uh, we'll, we'll gather and, and we'll play the game. Um, and I'll kind of lay things out, I'll teach the game to them, and then we'll play it. And then afterward, usually then there's a whole survey that uh, questions that they want you to answer. Uh, and then you submit those in. Uh, and then maybe a year and a half, two years later, sometimes uh, possibly the game will then, you know, uh, you'll see it on the shelf. That development cycle can be very long. People don't think yes. uh, necessarily appreciate how long it takes to get something from ideation through to shelf, right? It's, uh, it's quite a long journey, even with Kickstarter. A lot of Kickstarters, once they finally finish, you're looking at sometimes a year or more before that thing uh, actually gets delivered to the people. When you, um, when you do these print and plays, do you have like a kit you've developed now that allows you to kind of use your own piece? Cause when you print and play, I mean, you can print things out on a printer, but it doesn't allow you necessarily to print pieces, right? Like components and so forth. Mm -hmm. So do you have like, like a box of generic components that you kind of pull from to help with those play testing or how have you kind of, what was the process in that regard? I do. And I have, you know, as you can see, this is kind of my game collection that I have <laughs> behind world. me. And over the years, I've um, upgraded uh, several of my games, you know, the components, yeah. you know, for, um, let's say, cardboard coins, I've now upgraded them to metal coins. Well, I've never thrown away, I don't throw away anything. 
uh, much to my wife's chagrin. So <laughs> I've, I've taken like all those cardboard coins or the the meeples or things like that. And and yeah, kind of like you had mentioned, kind of keep them off to the side. And, and now over the past few years, I, I have kind of developed a kit where if a game calls for dice or meeples or coins um, or things like that, um, I, I have them at the ready. For you know cards and things, oftentimes I'll, I'll print out um, either just on regular paper uh, and then sometimes I'll sleeve them uh, or I'll, I'll print them kind of on a heavier card stock, uh, which you can just find like at a regular, you know, Staples or Office Max or something like that. Uh, just oftentimes when you're shuffling, it just makes it a lot easier when you're dealing with a thicker material. Um, but um, yeah, there's there's kind of a kit that that I kind of use when I receive a print and play file. Do you and when you, uh, you know, finish your play test, do you keep the play test or when the game finally comes out, you just kind of trash the, the play test materials you have and replace with the, uh, with the finished game. Like, is there any kind of collectability there on your side where you're like, ah, oh, it's, that's the original. I want to kind of keep that as uh, sacred. Um, I no, I, I wouldn't say really most of the things are kind of worth saving. Um, and, and the aspect where it's very, uh, rudimentary where, you know, again, there's no artwork. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of things will change, you know, over time. Yeah. Um, you know, if let's say I was lucky enough to, to test a game like Scythe, which uh, I think I have over my shoulder here, um, which is now actually that's become my favorite game. That's something then I would have held on to. Yeah. Um, if, you know, a, a friend of mine actually did a Kickstarter a few years ago and he sent me a prototype copy of his game and it's a simple card game. Um, and that actually did end up going to production and he let me keep the prototype. Oh, cool. um, so yeah, that's, that's something that I've, I've had. And, and it is interesting to then compare something um, to then the finished product, because then you can actually see the development process and how things will change and, and, and progress. Um, and, and as a game will then ultimately kind of take shape into its final form. Yeah. I'm kind of guilty of that myself, even with games that I've created, I've, each iteration where it's kind of changed along the way, I've, I've kept one copy of each iteration, but you're right. At some point you kind of run out of room, right? Cause you can collect a lot of stuff. Yes. When you're doing these blind play tests for the people that are listening, I think it's important to note some of the importance of that. Right. So, um, and I can take an example of a game I recently was working on and I, I sent to a colleague and they came back with like 10 questions, right? So as soon as the end of the answer those questions, well, that's now not a blind test, right? Because I've mm -hmm. answered those questions before they went and played the game. And really, I think the goal is to get your game into a, a, a spot where you can hand over to someone like yourself, say nothing. Hopefully you're able to figure out how to play that game. And if you can, that's a good indication that I think you've got the instructions and kind of the details and, and the explanation down quite well. If in, on the flip side of that play tester comes back with 10 questions, well, that's going to inform you of maybe some things you need to, to add to your, your instruction sheet. Is that kind of your perspective or? Yeah. And I've found that for the most part, the games that I'm play testing are very well developed and, and especially their rule books are, are at a point. But if I ever do have questions, um, and, and I think you had mentioned that, you know, I do a lot of playtesting for Stonemeyer games, you know, yeah. and then I've been, so I've been working with uh, Jamie Stegmeyer uh, for now a few years as one of his playtesters. And, and he's 
uh, specified when you're playtesting. If you notice something, you know, if there's a, a typo or, or whatever, it's like, just write it down into the notes. He's like, we, we don't need to have a communication back and forth. Mm. But if there is a question or something that comes up, which is going to kind of stall out the game, then he says, just reach out to me, uh, you know, via email or something like that. And to his credit, um, he usually responds actually rather quickly. Um, and, you know, he is generally open, you know, to ideas and suggestions yeah. and things. But, you know, he is looking for, you know, you to have your kind of complete confined experience. Uh, and then after, you know, you kind of fill out the survey, he also then wants you to provide final thoughts. And, you know, this is where I then really start to kind of elaborate and, and open up into my experience where, you know, I'm not just saying, oh, the game was good. You know, well, why was it good? You know, or why was it engaging? Or, you know, what did we really think? And I'll usually provide, you know, maybe two pages, you know, worth, worth of information. And I found, you know, if anyone is interested in, in, in play testing, um, I, I think designers and creators are, are looking for people who can, you know, really explain something, you know, you know, properly, where if they are um, experiencing something within a game and they feel, let's say, an aspect is considered broken, meaning, yeah. you know, that you can just harp on this game and you're going to win um, hands down every time. Um, well, why, you know, and, and, and what kind of led you into that experience within the game? Um, and, you know, do you even have any suggestions, you know, on, on possibly how can it be, you know, fixed, um, you know, or, or prevented, you know, from happening again. So I guess the key is not to be vague, uh, you know, or just provide, you know, one word responses. Is it structured? So they send you a specific survey saying, you know, we want, feedback on uh, the mechanics, talk to us about the mechanics, you know, talk to us about the story, talk to us about playability, length of time and so forth. Like, is it very structured that way or is it different by publisher or, or how does that usually work? It is very structured um, and it's even catered uh, specifically to the game. Uh, oftentimes I'll um, not just, you know, play test a, a game, but I'll play test an expansion as well. Mm. Um, so the survey will, you know, mention, you know, have you played the base game before, you know, um, and what do you think of it? And how would you uh, rate it, let's say on a scale of one to 10? Okay, now let's talk about the game with the expansion. And how would you rate that on a scale of one to 10? And then the, in the survey will mention, okay, is there a difference between your two scores and why? You know, and, and, you know, what was the reason, I guess, for the difference in the ratings? Um, and, you know, what, um, I guess, uh, aspect did you uh, specifically enjoy, you know, about this? But then it will try to uh, delve a little deeper, you know, within these uh, survey uh, questions and either talk about maybe specific cards uh, or spe specific mechanics, you know, within the game uh, and, and try to highlight, you know, certain things that way. Um, it's not just on a, on a very um, broad, um, you know, uh, aspect, I guess. So if there's someone out there that wanted to play test, what would you tell them? Is there like a tip you give them to say, you know, here's how best to approach your feedback specifically to the, uh, to the publishers? Sure. Um, I, I would say, you know, in my experience, what, what I did was um, I, I kind of had a, a favorite publisher, you know, which again is Stonemeier Games. Sure. Uh, and and reached out to them directly. 
Um, you know, so I would say if, if someone is, you know, um, and, 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 and I guess a board game enthusiast or if they're new to the hobby, uh, but there are specific games or publishers that they like, reach out to them first. Um, and, you know, generally, you know, it's going to be via email or something uh, yep. or, you know, you can contact them on their website and, you know, uh, express, you know, your interest. Um, so recently I've been playing a lot of Marvel Champions. Um, so that's another game that, you know, so I've reached out to the publisher on that. Uh, and then I've actually started playtesting, you know, some of their upcoming uh, expansions, which I think are at least like two years down down the road. Yeah. Um, but when, you know, you get selected, you know, to be uh, a playtester, oftentimes, you know, they'll reach out then to you and say, okay, you know, uh, are you available to playtest? Uh, maybe we'll have a short turnaround uh, time. We have, you know, two weeks or, or three weeks this is actually pretty generous. And we need you to play the game, let's say a minimum of three times. Uh, mm. And then, you know, provide a, a response survey after each game. And then your final thoughts after you've completed, you know, the entire play test. Um, sometimes you're compensated, you know, monetarily, uh, and, and sometimes it's, you know, a hundred percent volunteer. Um, it, it's really all depends on the publisher. Um, but, you know, I primarily do it, you know, just for fun and, and for the experience, you know, I hope, um, you know, to kind of take the experience that I've been gaining and, and seeing, uh, the the development process of a game and then apply that you know to my own ideas on, on mm. games that I want to design ultimately what's your day job what do you uh, so obviously play testing uh, I don't know anybody that is uh, necessarily uh, you know making a, a full-time living off play testing I'm sure there might be some yeah. out there but uh, you know understanding how the industry works so this is kind of a hobby obviously a passion um, a you know, kind of a hobby that uh, obviously has a lot of benefits associated with it. What's your day job? What, what do you do during the day when you're not uh, when you're not playing board games? Sure, um, I work in finance. Um, I'm with uh, Vanderbilt Health in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and um, I've been in finance probably for like ten or fifteen years now. Wow. And and um, actually got into the board game hobby just kind of recently, about three and a half years ago or so. Uh, and and it've, uh, it's become almost an obsession, or actually it is an obsession. So uh, definitely escalated to the point of, you know, enthusiast. Uh, but as you were mentioning, um, there really isn't much compensation specifically yeah. for playtesting. You know, you, that you, you do it for the joy and you do it yeah. for the experience and also to help out the publishers. And there's sometimes credit too, right? Like I know mm -hmm. a lot of uh, uh, game companies, I mean, I'm one of them, will actually list the names in our book mm -hmm. of the people that play test, which I think is kind of cool to have that cred. Um, what what got, so if it's, it, I mean, to just a couple years ago, or a few years ago, get into it, what was it that pulled you in? Like what was the gateway kind of hook that, sure. uh, that pulled you into the industry? Well, um, all right, we have a couple of minutes. So I, I'll kind of uh, try to condense the story. So I, um, as you had mentioned in my introduction, so I grew up just playing games like Run yeah. Cube, uh, even Monopoly uh, and Risk, and wasn't um, aware of the whole board game industry until a friend of mine actually approached me in church uh, about three and a half years ago. And he just moved down to the area and asked, you know, what I like to do for fun. And I'm like, I, I don't know, I've got two young kids, you know, we take them to the zoo. And he's like, well, do you have any hobbies? 
And I'm like, well, I kind of grew up on Star Wars and I like to yeah. watch a lot of movies. And he asked me if I like to play games. You know, I'm like, video games? And he's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, board games. And I'm like, oh, you mean like Monopoly? And he's like, no, 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 not, <laughs> not Monopoly. Um, and he had explained, you know, where he had moved from. He had a group of guys and, and they used to play board games and that there's a whole... Um, I, I guess uh, maybe games have evolved to uh, a point now where there's so strategy, you know, uh, based and all these different types and now with components and amazing artwork and, and things like that, which is kind of why people maybe will rag on something like Monopoly. Yeah. So he's like, let's get a couple guys together and let's have a game night. And he didn't start me off with something, you know, simple like, uh, you know, Settlers of Catan, uh, you know, or Carcassonne. Um, he actually pulled out um, Bruno Cathala's game, uh, Cyclades, um, or Cyclades. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly certain the, the correct pronunciation of the game. Uh, and we played that. And I was really intrigued by it. And for me, it almost felt like Risk uh, on steroids. Yeah. Uh, and then it was one or two game nights later, a friend brought his Kickstarter copy of Scythe and I was hooked. Um, yeah. And I, I dove in deep um, since, since then. And, you know, and now there's this whole, you know, collection that I kind of have here on the wall behind me. Um, but what's amazing that I didn't realize regarding the board game industry is that it is a huge community. And I went to my first Gen Con a couple of years ago and was just amazed at, you know, just the thousands and thousands of people that were there. And there's something available for everyone you know, oh, yeah. in, in this industry. You know, if you are just a casual gamer and you're just looking to have something, you know, fun to play with your family or your kids, there's a game for you. You know, if, and if you want something heavy and strategy based and you know you're going to be at the table for three plus hours uh and you want miniatures and components and all that that's there for you too you know um and another aspect of the hobby that i actually just got into is uh painting uh miniatures that you know when i was a kid i used to love to paint you know um, models and airplanes and cars and things like that and a lot of these games come with, you know, little, um, you know, plastic or resin miniatures. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole side of the hobby where, where people paint them and they're so professional looking and it's amazing. And a lot of my friends are, are painters as well. So, you know, I've been, you know, um, picking their brain left and right. And then I just started painting. Uh, there's a game called Marvel United, which comes with little like chibi looking, you know, figures similar to uh, my little scythe uh, and, and their little figurines. And this is a game that I play with my son on a pretty regular basis. And having something painted and then on the table, it just amps up, you know, I think your enjoyment level of the game. Uh, and that, you know, it's, it's just wonderful that this is something then, then that I can, you know, share with him and, and just start diving into these, these other aspects of the hobby. Well, I think you actually become part of that game creation, right? Because now this is something that has now been modified, right? mm -hmm. very custom, very personal to you. And as you're playing, although someone else created this game, you feel like you've been part of that creation because you've now painted something, right? You, you've created, you know, you've added to the, the, the design of the game, which I think is kind of cool. 
what would you say is a good gateway game? Because I think your story is, is, is unique when you talk to people who get into the industry. I know in, in our game nights, we, you know, it, it's, it's part of a meetup group. It's one of the largest ones here in Ontario and Canada. And, um, you know, there, there could be 20, 30 people coming out on a given night. And there's always, usually each week, you know, a couple new people that come that are new to the industry and just looking to socialize. We typically don't put them into a three-hour game. Mm-hmm. We might not even put them into an hour-long game. We may start with a gateway game, something that lasts maybe 20 minutes to 40 minutes to kind of ease them in, right? So you're not kind of scaring them off. What would you recommend uh, as a good gateway game for uh, people out there who are trying to get their friends into the industry? Um, I, I guess it matters, you know, if you're looking, do you want something that's a little more strategy based? Do you want something that's a puzzle? Do you want that something, you know, is it a party game? You know, there there's, or just a, what's considered like a filler game there. There's a lot of different options. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of a, a gateway game that, you know, I would recommend, I, I love Azul, yeah, um, you know, Azul. which is a game that came out a couple of years ago. Um, you know, that, that would be one that I would definitely recommend, um, horrified, which I, I think I have here on the, on the shelf behind me, you know, is another one that's, it's easy to teach, you know, easy to play. Um, you know, my wife, uh, I actually, uh, classify her as a non-gamer mm-hmm. and, you know, she will play games, you know, with me or the kids, but she specified that you need to be able to teach it in less than two minutes. And the game time has to be less than, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, um, which really kind of narrows a lot of the games that I have here in my collection. You know, so we we play actually a lot of games by um, Grandpa uh, Beck's games. Yep. And um, so, you know, Cover Your Assets is um, a big hit, you know, with my family. Um, Another great gateway game um, is Skull King. Uh, that I would recommend. It's a fun, um, you know, card game, you know, that you could play with your friends. And that actually can play, you know, more than, you know, just three or four people. You know, I think that almost plays up to six uh, or, or something. And, and it plays, you know, very quickly. Um, the Crew is another card game that, you know, just recently came out. And I think it won, uh, I don't know if there's the, the Kennerspiel, um, okay. you know, this year. Um, you know, that's, that's just an, another great uh, gateway game. Uh, and then for Stonemire, I would recommend either um, My Little Scythe, um, you know, if you want something which is, you know, kind of geared almost more toward, uh, you know, families in, in the way where it's very approachable for children, and it has great fun artwork, uh, or their game Wingspan. Um, you know, it's another game where, you know, that might be just a little heavier. Um, But um, I think the takeaway that a lot of people find is it's easily approachable, it's quick to learn, uh, and then just fun to play. For developers out there and publishers, what is some advice you would give when they're putting together a game? What's something that you uh, like to see? And what are some common mistakes that uh, you see happen quite a bit? As a play tester, I prefer if, if someone's to provide me with a game, you know, try to have it at, at a point where it's ready to be, you know, tested, you know, that, you know, the, the rule book is pretty complete. And especially if I'm blind testing it, that I can handle completely everything on my own and figure it out. Oftentimes, if you're play testing something and you have, let's say, a two or three week window, um, if they keep sending you updated files, um, you know, yeah. over those two or three weeks, it, it will get frustrating, you know, because then you have to 
keep reprinting out cards and cutting them out and, and kind of getting sure. them ready and then getting your group back together again and saying, okay, well, they've made a change or something. Uh, unless you're under that understanding where you're going to be there kind of for that development process. But I would say, you know, um, ha have something that's, again, developed to the point where you can just hand it off and then be ready to receive feedback. And you know, I've found that, you know, people are very open, you know, to feedback, you know, and I, I try not to be critical, uh, I guess, in my commentary, um, you know, but if someone, you know, says, look, this game wasn't fun, or, you know, that this is uh, considered broken or something like that, mm -hmm. where, you know, they understand, you know, that this is an opinion. And, you know, everyone's yeah. entitled and this was their experience and their takeaway, but how could they take that and, and turn it around and then into something productive in, in terms of their development. So having that kind of understanding or that type of relationship, um, you know, um, I think is, is beneficial uh, as you then continue to, you know, play test more and more games. I think uh, board games is almost like uh, it's like beer, right? So if someone says that they don't like beer. Well, they, they haven't tried every beer. How do you know you sure. don't like beer, right? And I think board games are very similar is that there's something for everybody. And, um, you know, being part of some playtest nights and different prototype nights myself, you know, on the developer side, you got to have some thick skin because, you know, not everybody has tact, right? And I think that that, that separates the good playtesters from maybe the ones that aren't so good. The ones that are good, if they don't like the game, they'll explain to you why they don't like the game. In some cases, it might be, this isn't the kind of game, this isn't my style of game. So this game might actually be good for someone else, um, but this is not the kind of game I like to play. Um, but that being said, here's some things I noticed along the way when we're playing that you might want to consider to you know improve the, the user experience. I think that's great feedback when it's constructive like that and tactful. Um, I think most developers have probably come across, you know, the opposite of that when someone just is trying to crush souls. Right. And, right. uh, that, that's never, uh, that's never good. Uh, as a, if you want to become a consistent play tester, I would recommend taking the, the tact approach. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. What types of game, like, so do you have a game on the way or you, have you started kind of mapping out a game or kind of where are you at in that process? Um, so un unfortunately they're all kind of still up in my head. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I have, two or three really good ideas and now it's at the point where okay either what what mechanics would i use you know with this idea um and you know how would i flesh it out and if, if anything it's time is is what's always against you yeah. you know where you know as i said this is a hobby you know i, I do have a full-time job uh and i also have you know two young kids and, and I'm married and I try to spend as much time with my family as I can. Yeah. Um, but you know, when the kids are asleep and my wife's reading a book or something, then I'll, I'll delve into this. So if, if I can dedicate, you know, the, the time, you know, one of my goals um, in this upcoming year is, is to try to really f just pick one of them and just dive in and, and start going with it. Um, fortunately, within the hobby there's also a lot of avenues for people who are looking you know to design or develop um so you know take you know jamie stegmeyer um where he has a blog and if anyone is interested in in designing a game or if they're looking to bring something to kickstarter and and use that social platform um not only has he written a book 
uh, about his experiences, you know, with Kickstarter, mm-hmm. but lists tons of suggestions, you know, that you can find. And that's what's great about this community is I really haven't found that people are rivals where a lot of people, you know, even though they may be a competitor of, you know, opposing companies, people are well, often, you know, play one another's games and and share ideas and you know refer someone say hey um you know this may not work for me you know how about for you yeah and you know so so in this case with jamie he's just shared a lot of his experiences yeah. um and if, again if anyone is interested in either you know play testing or or designing their own game or looking into kickstarter um i would definitely recommend you know looking into his blog I would uh, I would echo that sentiment. Uh, we had him on the uh, on the podcast uh, about a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Great interview. He's got a great book, and he is a, it it. If there's a new developer coming into the industry, if they don't go to his blog and and read through the materials there, it is it is a loss on on their part because there is so much information there, not only in his book but even in just the blogs and so forth that really is a roadmap for anybody looking to get into this industry. So if someone wants to reach out to you for playtesting their game, uh, are you taking solicitations from, from publishers and so forth? Or are you just focused on Stonemaier or kind of, kind of where's, where's your position there? Sure. Um, no, I, I, I'm definitely open, you know, as I'd mentioned, you know, I'm also now playtesting for Marvel champions sure. uh, as well. And yeah, if, if someone wanted to contact me directly, you know, they're, they're, they're more than you know, welcome to, you know, or again, um, if, if I do have the time, um, you know, I'd, I'd be more than happy to, you know, um, get something else to the table. Perfect. So how best do they reach you in that regard? Um, I would say probably email. Um, you know, I, I do have an Instagram account, you know, which okay. is called late to the board game. Because uh, nice. I, I didn't get into this hobby uh, until I was, I was in my mid 40s. Um, so that that's kind of my title. And um, if you ever see a there's a picture um, uh, for those who are familiar with the hobby, there's a, a pawn uh, yeah. that you use. It's called a meeple. Yep. Uh, and, and this is a meeple that looks like Yoda uh, from the Star Wars uh, universe. Uh, and, and I had someone design it for me. Uh, and actually sits on my desk. And so that's the image that I use on my Instagram account uh, nice. linked to the board game. Uh, and then, you know, also my email uh, address. I don't know if you want me to just mention here, if you're going to sure, you can it, put it here yeah. and we'll also list it on the thing, but for people who are listening, maybe in the audio podcast, if you can maybe. Sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can be contacted. Uh, it's kind of my name. It's E L Furston, uh, F like Frank E R S T E N at yahoo.com. Nice. Well, fantastic. You know, I, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. It has been uh, very informative from the angle of the play tester. And I know a lot of people listening uh, probably have some pretty good insight now as to how that works. So I just want to say thanks again, all the best to you and your family. And I just want to wish you all the best. Thank you, Take James. Care. Cheers. Appreciate it. Take care. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.